Open your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, we're continuing our series on Christianity 101. And remember the foundation of this, people make the statement that all religions are fundamentally the same. And we agree with that statement, except for what they teach about sin, salvation, heaven, hell, the nature of God, the nature of man, the nature and members of the church. Other than that, they're all pretty much the same. So we've covered those subjects. And then just we're, we're moving into some rock bottom things. Last week, we looked at the subject of Christians and alcohol. And this week, we're looking at the subject of personal holiness, personal holiness. Next week, we're going to look at what the Bible says about the home. We, you'll see something here in a second that addresses the home. You can't move away from the home. Any subject of personal holiness in the Christian life addresses the home, right? So we'll see some of that today. But next week, the home, the following week, Lord willing, I'm going to be doing What's the Difference, part two. And remember, we looked at the difference between biblical Christianity and the rest of the Christian religions. And uh, then we're, so a week from Sunday, I hope to be doing the message on Pentecostalism, the roots of Pentecostalism, the different branches of it, and how they would differ from what we teach. So that should be coming in two weeks. All right, First uh, Peter chapter 1, look with me in verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. So stop there, that's old language. All that means is, that, so everybody back then wore long robes, long gowns. And they would take that robe and, and pull it up and tie it into a belt because it's tough to run in a long dress. Isn't that true, Chad? Yes, yes. And so it's it just one of those things that's hard to do. So what this is talking about is if you've got a lot of loose stuff happening in your life, you're not going to be able to walk well. Right? So that's what this is talking about. So it says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So a couple of things right there. So get in control of your mind. All right. Is that, is that pretty clear from what it's saying? So have, you, have you ever found your mind going places it shouldn't go? Right. And it could be anxiety. It could be anger. It could be lust. It could be any number of things. It could be covetousness. Whatever it is, just get in control of that. That's what it's saying. And be sober. So that could tie into last week's message, right? What's the opposite of sober? Drunk, all right? So not only is this dealing with alcohol or really any kind of substance abuse, but it's also dealing with, you know, being too high or too low in your thinking, all right? So be sober. And then it says, and hope to the end, all right? So our hope is that at the end, Jesus Christ is going to save us. And remember, that's not I hope so. Biblical hope is it's a guarantee. Hope to the end uh, for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus Christ comes back, we'll be able to see him. That's the revelation. And then everything is going to be better. All right, now verse 14. As obedient children. So I wonder if we know what that means. How many of you know people and you believe they have no idea? what as obedient children means. How many of you know what I'm talking about? So here's, here's obedience. All right? This is obedience. A command is given, and the command is obeyed. It's not complicated. But you don't understand. My little precious is strong-willed. 
What's so funny? They're not here, so I'll, I'll tell on them. People have said to us, well, first of all, when our children were, so Lydia was three weeks old when we came here, and I would teach on child rearing, and people would say, well, wait until your kids are. You just say that because your kids aren't, that kind of thing. And then when they got to a certain age and they be, you know, were able to receive instruction, they weren't perfect, they'd have to be corrected, but they were able to receive instruction, here's what we'd get. Well, you don't know what it's like to have a strong-willed child. I want to ask you, do you know Lydia? <laughs> have you met my daughter? And now, honestly, Jacob, pretty compliant, you know, there's... Not much trouble. I know that's crazy. You guys wouldn't think that. But raising him as a child, that wasn't much of an issue. Lydia? Laura's got this look on her face like, oh, it's over. (laughs) (laughs) How many of you, seriously, you, you you have a genuine understanding of what as obedient children means? If, if you understand what that means, would you raise your hand? Because if you don't, I'm going to teach this whole section on obedience. So let me put it to you this way. If you have to tell your child five times to do something, is that an obedient child? So what is that? How would you describe that child then? Whose fault is that? See, here's the problem. We're going to talk about personal holiness today. And, you know, there are certain behaviors that I think all of us as believers would not participate in. I don't even need to talk about those things. There are certain things that we're just not going to do, right? We're just, even those of us that are in our most carnal state, there are certain behaviors that we're not going to participate in because we know that they're just, they're just wrong. What I want to get into is more of an overview of how can we make these decisions but when we begin as obedient children, how many of you want, seriously, how many of you want your kids to live a holy life? Would you raise your hands? You want your children to live a holy life. Well, unless you teach them how to obey, they may never be able to do that. Is that fair? You have to teach them to obey. Um, so let's move on. I might deal with some of that some more next week. As obedient children... Not, now look at this. Look, read that next word for me. Not, what's it say? Isn't that an interesting word? Do you realize how much of our life is fashion? Now, I know some of you are thinking, I don't care at all. Ty Blackford doesn't care at all about fashion. (laughs) And we love him for that. Just observe him, and you'll understand what not fashioning is. Now, some of you, some of you are sensitive and have mercy. You're thinking, I can't believe he says that. Ty, do you care? Yeah. So, and then there's other people that you can tell they are all about fashion, right? Now, honestly, I don't know that very many people would admit that about themselves. Honestly, I kind of am. I like shopping for me. Hate shopping for anybody else. I got a ton of shoes. I'm the Imelda Marcos of independent Baptist preachers. Love shoes, love suits, love nice clothes. I, 
I love it. I love that kind of stuff. Some people are interested in that stuff. Some of them aren't. Um, Jeff Blackford one time, I talked about having an outfit. He said, men don't have outfits. <laughs> so we, we understand when it says not fashioning yourself, we understand what that means. It doesn't mean that you can't look nice or whatever. That's not what that means. What it says is not fashioning yourselves according to the what? The next two words. What's it say? Former lusts in your ignorance. So there's a way to fashion yourself in a lustful way, and there's a way to fashion yourself in a godly way. Isn't that right? And, and we know this because there are, clo there are clothing manufacturers or stores that advertise sexy clothing. Well, how many of you, when you think of lustful and sexy, that those two would go together? So that's an example. Don't fashion yourself that way. Um, and, you know, guys, just you can try to be sexy. It's not going to happen. So just dress like a guy, you know, suit, not suit, whatever. I don't care about any of that stuff. It's the ladies that this becomes a real issue for. And so this is just, let's just get our thinking around this. I don't think I'm going to describe a, a, a particular article of clothing today. I'm talking about fashioning yourself in a certain way. And the message isn't about clothing, it's about personal holiness. But this, as we look at this text, we see that we're not supposed to fashion ourselves according to the former lusts. Now, what's it say? In your ignorance. You know, people dress ignorantly. Sometimes we'll say, do you have a mirror? Right? Have you ever you, you've seen someone and you say, you should never wear that? I think I've told you before. I came into the gym one time. I, I, I used to play a ton of basketball. And so I go into the gym, and, you know, I'm, I am as white as a sheet. You know, it's just, it's terrible. And I came in with these white gym shorts. And so this is like 1981. And so the guys were wearing shorter, and they were white gym shorts. And my friend Kenny Flickinger, he just looked at me and said, never wear those shorts again. <laughs> He's like, do you have a mirror? How many of you have ever been, you, you put something on, and then you actually see yourself later? Has that ever happened? Ty's shaking his head, never. It's never happened. <laughs> So there are things that just look bad, and that's not holy or unholy. You know, think something doesn't match or whatever. In the long run, that doesn't matter at all. Now, I will say this. Young people, when you want to get a job, you know, you probably ought to match. Is that fair? Your clothes ought to fit, that kind of thing. So that's a different subject, but that doesn't matter when you are when you are behaving in a way that causes other people to stumble and brings reproach on the name of Christ as a believer, that's ignorance, right? So the job of the preacher is to make you aware of what's going on. But here's, this is something that's really important. I'm not, I can't tell you what to wear. That's not my job. My job is to make you aware of what the Bible says, and then it's between you and God what you do. Now, our youth group, if you're someplace as, if we're going someplace as a church, Pastor Nathan and Sean are going to tell you what to wear and what not to wear 
and you're either going to wear it or you're not going to wear it. If you don't wear it, you can't go. If you wear it, you can go. You know, every institution has rules. How many? Anyone here have a job? Right? Are there any rules at your job? Can you wear whatever you want to wear? Can you come when you want to come? Go when you want to go? And behave any way you want to while you're there. It's just interesting when you come to church, people think I don't think there are any rules. Well, whatever. That's my answer. That's the biblical response to that. All right. So, verse 14, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but... So, fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in ignorance, that's bad. Right? That's what we're not supposed to do. But, as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy... In all manner of conversation. Now, remember, the Bible, conversation is more than your interaction with someone using words. It's your entire life. It's everything you do. It's, it's, it includes your conversation as we would understand it, but it's everything. So we're, we're supposed to be holy in every area, all right? Um, because it is written, verse 16, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Have we prayed yet? We haven't. Let's pray now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Give us wisdom, give us guidance, help us to understand where we should be today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. What I want to do is, in this subject of holiness, we're going to look at three passages of Scripture. And we started here, go with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. I want to begin with this statement. And this isn't going to be a real preachy message. We're just going to talk through this stuff and try to get a biblical understanding of it. And again, I'm not going to tell you what to look at, what not to look at, what to wear, what not to wear. That's not what this is. This is establishing how should we as believers live. How do we, how do we biblically make these decisions? How many of you think that a Christian ought to look different than a non-Christian, though? See, that, that's where we can start well, then where do we start establishing those? I think it becomes a problem when the preacher makes a list. And if you agree with this list, then you're holy. If you disagree with this list, you're not holy. That's a problem. Because i got to say, living up to a list is pretty easy. Having to make those decisions for yourself and choose to be holy in every area of your life, that's different than living up to a list. Right, So we're not lowering the standard, we're raising the standard from man-made rules to a biblical life of holiness. Be ye holy as God is holy. The goal is holiness. The goal is not to be more separated than the person next to me. The goal is holiness. And so if we have a world that is following the prince of this world, if we have a world that is, that is walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, if we have an entire world that is moving away from God, then people who are moving toward God might look different than them. That's reasonable. Is that fair? That's reasonable. Okay. Um, I want to make this statement before we dive into the message, and that is, listen carefully. Holiness 
is not legalism. Holiness is not legalism. Now, what's interesting is we all hear information and process it differently based on our life experience. So people will hear that statement in two different ways. Some people will say that if I require you to be holy and require a list, that's not legalism. That's the way some people will hear that statement. Other people will say that I don't have to live in a separated way in order to be holy. Do you see how both of those are wrong? They're both completely wrong. And yet the statement is true. Holiness is not legalism. Legalism is requiring works for salvation. That's what legalism is, that you have to do something to get saved. We know salvation is by grace. It's a gift. It's something that you're given and that it is received. It's not a work that you do to receive something. Is that right? We understand that. So holiness is not legalism. So let's try to find out some about this subject. The first place that I always have to start, if you're dealing with concepts of rules and behavior and the way that a believer should live, we have to start with grace. So look at John chapter 1, verse 14. This is speaking about Jesus. It says, And the Word, that's Jesus, was made flesh, in other words, He became a man, and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. All right, drop down to verse 16. And of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So the first thing that we see, I want us to talk about the glory of grace. First of all, Jesus is full of grace and truth. Jesus is full of grace and truth. So grace, and, and we'll, we'll look at this. Those of us who have received Him have also received His grace. All right? So look at what it says. And verse 16, and of His fullness. So He's full of grace and truth. And verse 16, and of His fullness have, what's it say? What's that next word? All we received and grace for grace. So that, that grace for grace, that, that's an interesting clause, phrase, whatever it is. All right, that, That's an interesting statement, grace for grace. So we have all received grace, that this grace comes from God, and we'll define what that is in a minute. So we've received it, and grace is God's unmerited favor bestowed on us and in us by the Holy Spirit. When someone gives you a gift that you don't deserve, that's pretty overwhelming, isn't it? I can't believe you did this for me. I can't believe you thought of me. That, that was so kind. When you're given something that is supernatural, when you're given something that is saving your eternity, that's removing the curse of sin from you and giving you the blessing of Jesus Christ, that's quite the gift, isn't it? So that's what we have received. It's God's unmerited favor bestowed on us. And, and look at what I have written here. And in us by the Holy Spirit of God. So now I have grace in me. I have grace in me. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that here in a minute. Um, we who have received Him have also received grace for grace. Now, that's just the, the statement of the Scripture. Is that right? So we have received grace for grace. What is that talking about? God has given us His, His grace so that some things can happen in us. The first thing we're given in the book of Romans chapter 5, 
Look at that. And we're going to be going through the Bible here for a minute. Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 1. Therefore, being justified, now that's declared righteous by God. Therefore, being justified by works, what's it say? By faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace. Now, look at those next three words. Wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I'm glad that my salvation isn't by me standing properly. I stand in grace. That's God's unmerited favor bestowed on me and in me by the Holy Spirit of God. There's nothing I can do to achieve that grace. There's nothing I can do to keep that grace. It is a gift and I stand in it. So in this conversation on personal holiness, your personal holiness does not determine your salvation. Now, it ought to be the result of your salvation, but it does not determine your salvation. Your salvation is determined by your receiving of grace through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, according to the Scriptures. So not only do we stand in grace, we grow in grace. So look at 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Interesting verse. The Bible says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. So grow in grace. How do you grow in grace? Does that mean I get more salvation? Does that mean that I start with grace and faith, but then I cooperate with God through the rest of my life, and as I cooperate with Him and observe the sacraments, receive the sacraments, then I get a little bit more grace infused into me, over time. Certainly not. I stand in grace. I have received that grace. So how do I grow in grace? How do I do that? That's the concept that God is giving in John chapter 1. He gave us grace for grace. I don't grow in the grace that I receive. I grow in the grace that I distribute. I grow in the grace that I live. I grow in the grace that I access. That's the grace that I grow in, grace for grace. So what God does, oh, stand in grace, grow in grace, and then I'm going to live a holy life in grace. This is what grace does for me. Grace is not only the gift of salvation, but grace is also power for a holy life. It's power for a holy life. Go to the book of Titus. Timothy Titus. All right, Titus chapter 2, and look at verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Now, look up here at me. So we know that salvation is by grace. And that grace can only come from God. Is that right? Are you all with me on that? If you're here and you're not familiar with that terminology, what we mean by that is you can't work your way to heaven. 
The only way a person can be saved or born again or have eternal life is by receiving the gift of eternal life. Another word for grace is gift. You receive a gift by grace. That's what our salvation is, all right? So we see that in this verse, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. That means anybody can be saved. It doesn't mean that everybody is saved. It means everybody can be saved, right? No one here is beyond salvation. Then look at what it says. So the grace of God, verse 11, that bringeth salvation, it does something in verse 12, teaching us. Do you see that? Grace is going to teach us something. Teaching us that denying, what's that next word? Ungodliness, the next two words. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So what we find is that grace gives me the ability to live a holy life in this present world, remembering, acknowledging that this present world in another place is called this present evil world, right? The world's evil. But I can live a holy life in it by grace. So grace for grace. How do I do this? Um, This is from Alexander McLaren, and it's such a great statement. You can read along with me up here. What he, this is Jesus, has said and done to me, calling me out of my darkness and alienation, and lavishing the tokens of his love, the voice of his beseechings, the the monitions of his spirit, the message of His Son, the incarnate Word, and the invitation of God. All these things are included in His call. And all of them are the reasons why, bound by thankfulness, overcome by His forbearance, responding to His entreaties and glued to Him by the strength of the hand that holds us and the tenacity of His love, we should strive to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called." How many of you behave differently because you love somebody? You, when you, when you, you got somebody, you loved them. and Man, I remember when I met Laura. Man, I acted. It changed me. Man, I was doing all kinds of stuff for her. I'd be where I was supposed to be on time. I'd brush my teeth. You know, it changed my behavior. I didn't wear those white shorts. It, because I loved her, it changed the way that I behaved. Because we have been loved by God and because we love Him, because of the way that He called us to salvation, to holiness, it changes the way that we want to live. Is that fair? Right? Now, I know that we don't live up to it. I don't live up to what God has called me to do. But what He has done is He he gives us the desire to do that. So, what does this holy life look like? First of all, The holy life is teachable. The holy life is teachable. Look at Titus chapter 2, verse 12. Teaching us. Teaching us. So the holy life is teachable. You can be taught something. How many of you know somebody, you just can't tell them anything? Right? That's not a teachable person. If you're an employer, you'll fire that person. You will not have an unteachable person work for you. You won't do it. You won't do it. And young people, if you're unteachable, that means you're unemployable. Is that fair? Do we have any bosses here? How many of you would agree with that? Say amen. If you're unteachable, you're unemployable. Because here's the deal. Do you know what your bosses are constantly doing? Learning. There are no jobs that are exactly the same as they used to be. 
everyone, if you're a teacher, if you're a doctor, if you're a lawyer, if you're a pharmacist, if you're a machinist, whatever it is, you're going to school. You're learning. I was talking to Jeff from the tire place. I ran into him at Marco's, and he's getting ready to go to a tire convention. Why? He had to learn about what's going on with tires. It doesn't matter what you do, you're constantly learning. And that's the same thing with the Christian life. What grace does is it makes us teachable. It makes us teachable. And what does it teach us? This holy life is taught to us by grace. Remember, this grace is not from us. It is from Jesus. And that means we don't know what it is naturally. So when the Bible says, so look at Titus again, teaching us that denying ungodliness. All right, so the grace of God teaches us to deny it says that here, and that's because of what's going on later. But it's teaching us to deny ungodliness. Is that fair? Here's the problem. We all want to define ungodliness for ourselves. We, we want to make our own definitions of what is godly and what is not godly. We're not allowed to do that. See, I can compare myself. Let me just say this. In the Philippines, I'm a giant. Right? But, I, but I'm, I'm not a tall person. You see how silly all of that kind of comparison starts to, starts to make? So what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to compare ourselves to God, and now we're in trouble. So the definition of godliness, it has to come from the Bible. It doesn't come from us naturally. Um, we cannot know it with a carnal mind. Look at, keep your place in Titus, because we're going to come back there. But go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, look at verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. So that's that grace, right? God has given us grace through the spirit of God. And what that does is it allows us to know at the end of verse 12 the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And remember John 6, 63, Jesus said, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So let's talk about the Bible, all right? But verse 14, but the natural man, what is the natural man? That's the unsaved man, all right? That's the, that's the lost man. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Why? For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. We talked about clothing a little while ago. Um, you girls, if there's something that's fashionable and a friend wants you to wear it and you say, no, I'm not going to wear that. Why? Because it's not godly. They'll look at you like you got three heads. What Godly? You talking about Hercules? What are you talking about? It's not godly. What, what do you see? They don't understand it. They don't understand it at all. But every Christian understands what that means. What does God want me to do? Does God want me to wear this? Does God not want me to wear this? Will this bring glory to God? Will it bring reproach to God? If you've got to hide from your dad to wear it, it's probably not godly. Is that fair? All right. You certainly can't hide from your heavenly Father. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But that's not us. Verse 15. But he that is spiritual, what's that next word? Judgeth all things. Judge not, lest you be judged. Uh, don't judge, don't judge, don't judge. Well, it's just idiots that say that. They don't know the Bible. 
Because in the next passage, Jesus says, judge righteous judgment. Right? So we're all supposed to judge, and what we're supposed to do is judge whether our behavior is godly or whether it's ungodly. That's what this is saying, whether it's spiritual or unspiritual. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have that. So here's the problem. We want to judge our behavior, whether it's our entertainment or whether it's our clothing or whether it's our language, whatever it is. We want to judge it by our own standard, but we can't do that. We have to judge it by the Word of God. Every bit of it, we have to judge it by the Word of God. Is this bringing glory to God or is it not? Is this representing God well or is it not? So let's, let's go on. So we cannot know what is godly with the carnal mind. We must receive this information by grace through His Word. Um, I said this years ago when I had um, some ladies say that it was hard for them to find modest clothing. And let me be honest, it is. got to do it on purpose because, like, you'll see a T-shirt, ladies, and it says large, and you could put it in a thimble. You all know what I'm talking about? Right? Because if it's a lady's, if it's a men's large, it's a pretty big shirt. If it's a lady's large, it's this big. Your size doesn't matter. I used to sell shoes when I was in high school. I sold shoes. And these ladies would come in. Um, I'd like to just, what size do you need? I'm an eight. I'm looking at them. Uh-uh. Well, even if they were an eight, you bring a shoe out and it runs small. The nine fits her. And she wasn't going to buy it because it was a nine and she wears an eight. Because that little number printed inside the shoe, they weren't going to wear it because the size was wrong. Why doesn't that work with shirts? It's so quiet in here. It's just interesting. So what we have to do, so I was saying that, of course, Laura goes to that special store at the mall just for pastor's wives. No, no, she chooses to buy clothes that fit her. And so that's, that's the idea in the clothing area. But what about music? How many of you know that there's music that does not bring glory to God? Don't listen to that. Don't listen to it. Um, and here's the problem, young people. This is, this is such an important thing. So when I was a kid, the group Boston was popular. Okay, that's back in the dark ages when they had these things. They were round and flat, and they were called records. But um, there's this group called Boston, and I really liked their sound. Amazing singer. I don't know any of their names. Their sound was amazing. Um, but I was taught that I shouldn't listen to that. So I, I, I didn't listen to it. So as an adult, while I was living here, I found um, a Boston CD and played it. Those lyrics were so filthy. I mean, I, but I didn't know. I was a kid. I didn't know what it was talking about. It's filthy. So how many of you think that Christians ought to listen to filthy lyrics? Think that's a good idea or a bad idea? It's a bad idea. So that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. Young people, we'll warn you about things and you, based on your life experience, think that we're being foolish. We're not. There's stuff that you don't need to have in your mind, in your soul, in your spirit. And music's a very powerful tool. It's a very powerful tool. Be careful what you listen to. Listen to godly Christian music to put godly lyrics. Man, there's some country music make you want to shoot yourself. 
when I was a kid, they'd talk about backward masking. You know, they would say, you know, I love Satan or whatever. You play a country song backwards, he gets his dog back, gets his truck back, his wife comes home. But <laughs> there's, there's all kinds of stuff. Just be holy. Be godly in all manner of conversation. Is that fair? So notice, I'm not telling you what to listen to or not listen to. What I'm saying is be godly, be holy. The Bible says that we are to deny ungodliness, and we receive this information by grace through His Word. See, the holy life, look at what it says. Back to Titus. I want you to see something. So, verse 12, so Titus 2, verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness. See that word denying? That's an act of the will. That's volitional. Volition is your will. So, what we find out is that this grace, it teaches us how to use our will to purify our lives. So, I learn what is ungodly, and then I deny the ungodliness. You see? I learn what is ungodly, and then through an act of the will, I make the choice to deny that ungodliness in my life. Grace teaches me to deny my definitions of godliness and ungodliness and receive God's definitions of these. Well, I just don't see what's wrong with. Now, be honest with me. Young people, how many of you have ever said that? I don't see what's wrong with, and then fill in the blanks afterwards. Any of you ever say that? Right? That's because you have your definition of godliness and ungodliness. Now, here's the deal. There's a difference between rules and biblical law. There's a difference. So your dad says you've got to be home by 10. All right, that's not in the Bible. Obey your parents is in the Bible. Right? I don't understand why my parents don't like me out after 10 o'clock at night. The reason you say that is you're stupid. He said in love. You ever heard this? Nothing good happens after 10 o'clock. It is so true. So do you know what you should do? Go home. All right? So it, th that type of thing, that's not a biblical law, be home at 10, obey your parents is. Sometimes what happens is your parents give you a rule and you don't like the rule, but you don't understand why they gave it. And they don't have to tell you. Now, eventually, it's good for you to understand those things. But you don't have to understand something to be obedient. You just have to do it. Right? And so, the, the I don't think that's wrong. Well, do you have a complete understanding of Scripture? Do you have a complete understanding of the culture? Do you have a complete understanding of what sin does in a person's life? No! So, listen to somebody who has more understanding in that than you do and who is godly. Okay? Um, grace teaches me to deny my definitions of godliness and ungodliness and receive God's definitions of these. All right? Ungodliness is anything that is not godly. Is that brilliant? All right? So ungodliness is anything that is not godly or that does not please God. Keep your place in Titus and go to Colossians chapter 1. We really do have a Christianity that condones any type of behavior. Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 10. Uh, look at verse 9 for the context. For this cause also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord, look at those next three words, unto all pleasing, 
being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. So ungodliness displeases God. Godliness pleases God. So in every area of my life, I want to make decisions that please God. So I deny ungodliness and then I live. I deny and then I live. I deny what's bad and then I live. Here's what that teaches us. That ungodliness is death. Godliness is life. Here's what people say to you Christian kids who've lived well. Well, you've never really lived. I hope you never really live like they're talking because that is death. It's the opposite of life, right? I want you to live the life that God has for you, and I promise you it'll be abundant life. All right, so here's what I want you to get. My syllabus for godly living. Here's what we do. We hear about different rules and all those kinds of things. What does the Bible say? Let's try to get a biblical understanding of holy living. And don't worry. Don't get nervous. We're almost done. All right. So what is holiness? What is holiness? What I've done is I've gone to Webster's 1828 Dictionary. And we're just going to look at these words so we can understand what it is. The Bible says, be holy. What does that mean? Holiness. The state of being holy. That helps, right? Purity or integrity of moral character. Purity. Purity. Freedom from sin. Sanctity, that's being set apart for God. It's holy. Applied to the supreme being, that's God. Holiness denotes perfect purity or integrity of moral character. One of his essential attributes. That's who he is. It describes him. God's holiness is the very attribute which seems to separate him most from his creatures. So that's what, that's what holy means in God's sense. He's completely other, completely separate from us. If His holiness makes Him separate from us and is so far above us, how can we possibly obey this command? How, the, the command, be holy as He is holy. How are we supposed to do that if He is completely holy and we're not? How in the world can I be sinless and holy? Look, the holiness of God, which is capable of imitation by us, is His separation from all impurity. So why can't you approach God without the Holy Spirit, without Jesus Christ? No man has seen God at any time. No man can see God and live. Why? Because he's completely separated himself from unrighteousness. We can imitate his separation from unrighteousness, impurity. There is a side of his holiness which separates him from all creation to which we can only look up or bow with our faces to the ground. What are we going to do? Go live up like the... the, the monastic did in the dark ages where he lived up on top of a pole? Is that what God wants us to do? No. No. We can't imitate that portion of God's holiness. But there is a side of His holiness which as wonderful as it is and as high above all our present accomplishment as it is, yet it is not higher than the possibility which His indwelling spirit puts within our reach. There is an aspect of God's holiness to which through His Spirit, we can attain. It's not beyond the bounds of the duty that Scripture presses upon us all. As He which hath called you is holy, absolute and utter purity is His holiness. That's the pattern for us. So what are we going to do? Let's, this syllabus, let's define the words in the Bible. The Bible says, so go back to Titus. Go back to our text, Titus. We already defined one of them, ungodliness. Ungodliness is that which is not godly. All right? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. So what is lust? We hear that word in the Bible. What is it? It's longing desire 
eagerness to possess or enjoy as in the lust of gain. You know, there are people that would slit your throat for your money. I think all of us want more money. That's not sin. What's sin is lusting after that money, making it the priority of your life. That's wrong. Uh, Exodus 15, 9, my lust shall be satisfied upon them. Concupiscence, that's, uh, uh, I'll define that in a minute. This is lust. Concupiscence, carnal appetite, unlawful desire of carnal pleasure. So it's lust that's wrong. It's lusting for things in a wrong way. Evil propensity, depraved, that's evil, depraved affections, depraved affections and desires, and the Bible defines those. And just so you know, these are the actual definitions from Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Don't you wish that's a dictionary they still used, point people to the Scriptures to illustrate it? All right. Concupiscence, what is that? The Bible talks about evil concupiscence. It is to covet or lust after, to desire or covet. It's lust, unlawful or irregular desire of sexual pleasure. In a more general sense, the coveting of carnal things or an irregular appetite for worldly good. Inclination for unlawful enjoyments. So lust, you know, so the Bible talks about God lusting after His justice. Well, God can't do anything that's evil. This is talking about lusting after evil things that, are, that we're supposed to stay away from. Listen, if you feed your flesh, that flesh is going to want more. If you feed your flesh, your flesh is going to want more. Then look at what it says. Look at our text. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly. What does that mean, soberly? Without intemperance. Without intemperance. Remember, in the prohibition movement, it was called the temperance movement. You didn't drink. The temperance movement. Why? Because when you're intemperate, you're out of control. All right? They temper steel. And they temper glass so that it doesn't break or shatter easily. All right? So without intemperance, without enthusiasm, what does that mean? Does that mean you have to be dull, never smile? No. This enthusiasm would be like a, a charismatic snake handling service. You know, just out of control, out of control. That is uh, a, a mosh pit, you know, without enthusiasm. Without intemperate passion, coolly, calmly, moderately. That's the way we're supposed to live. No, without intemperate passion, just crazy angry, out of control. We're supposed to live coolly, calmly, moderately, then gravely and seriously. You know, a, a foolish person never takes anything seriously, right? These things have eternal consequences. Then look at what it says. Look at our text. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously. Righteously. What does that mean, righteous? It means just. Accordant to the divine law, applied to persons, it denotes one who is holy in heart and observant of the divine commands in practice as a righteous man. That's what we're supposed to be. Then, applied to things, it denotes consonant to the divine will or to justice as a righteous act. It is, to be chiefly in th it is used chiefly in theology and applied to God, to His testimonies, and to His saints. We're supposed to be righteous and follow His righteous terms. Godly. Godly. It's pious. Reverencing God and His character and laws. So, young people, are you pious? Do you reverence God's law? Do you reverence God's person? All of us, when we're doing a business deal, when we're at work, when we're working on the line, when we're filling a prescription, whatever it is that we're doing, are we reverent? Are we holy? Do we realize who God is in that? 
That's what godly is. It's living in obedience to God's commands from a principle of love to Him and reverence of His character and precepts. It's religious, righteous as a godly person. What about temperance? The Bible tells us to be temperate. What is that? It's moderation, particularly habitual moderation in regard to the indulgence of natural appetites and passions, restrained or moderate indulgence. What about moderation? The Bible says, let your moderation be known unto all. It's restraint of violent passions or indulgence of appetite. Eat and drink with moderation. Indulge with moderation and pleasures and exercise. How about that? That's from 1828. Calmness of mind, equanimity, as to bear prosperity or adversity with moderation. How about this? Frugality in expenses. Personal holiness. Live within your means. You know, that's part of your worship. Moderation. Moderation. As temperance in eating and drinking, temperance in the indulgence of joy or mirth, temperance in eating and drinking as opposed to gluttony and drunkenness and in other indulgences to excess. Patience, calmness, sedateness, moderation of passion. How about modest? What is that word? The Bible says to be uh, 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 in modest apparel, properly restrained by a sense of propriety. What's proper? Does the world define what's proper? Does it God? Hence, not forward or bold. Not presumptuous or arrogant, not boastful as a modest youth, a modest man. I want you to notice ungodliness, lust, um, intemperance, immodesty. Have you ever noticed how alcohol contributes to all that? It's interesting, isn't it? Modest, not loose, not lewd, moderate, not excessive or extreme, not extravagant as a modest request, a modest joy, a modest computation. Then look at what it says. Keep, keep going in our text. Verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. Peculiar. What does peculiar mean? It means appropriate. Belonging to a person and to him only. Almost every writer has a peculiar style. Most men have manners peculiar to themselves. Art, uh, art experts can look at an old master who hasn't signed his work, and they can tell who painted it by the type of their brush strokes. Those brush strokes are peculiar to that person. Our behavior is supposed to be peculiar to a Christian. This is the way a Christian behaves. This is the way a Christian speaks. This is the way a Christ follower gives. This is the way a Christ follower doesn't respond. This is the way a Christ follower does respond. These are behaviors that are peculiar to a Christian. That is, they're different from the world. Do you see how this is much harder than a list? Because it's every area of our lives. Peculiar. How about zealous? It says zealous of good works. That means warmly engaged or ardent in the pursuit of an object. You know what we're going to see tonight? We're going to see people zealous for their team. Right? We need to be zealous toward God. Thus, being thus saved himself, he may be zealous in the salvation of souls. That's his illustration of it. So how are we going to do this? We have to have the right perspective. Let's finish up with just this passage of Scripture. Go to Second Peter. 
2 Peter chapter 3, look at verse 9. This passage gives us the perspective we're supposed to have to engage in personal holiness. Verse 9, But the, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief. That's when the Lord returns. It will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be, see that word, dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heavens, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth, what's that word? Righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of Him in peace. Read those next two words. The next one. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking, of them, speaking in them of things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and are unstable, as they do also the other scriptures. I'm sorry. Let me read that verse again. And also in all his epistles, speaking in them of, of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest. They wrestle with them. They try to change what they say. As they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, Fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. In this area of personal holiness, here's the question. Will this please God? Will this please God? Does God want me to do this? Does God want me to wear this? Does God want me to listen to this? Does God want me to go to this place? McLaren, in his sermon on, this, on the, the First Peter passage, he tells a story of a little boy. A circus had come to town. And he said, what young boy doesn't like a circus? And he was standing outside the tent trying to get a peek in. And a man said, son, come on in. You want to come into the circus? And he said, no, my dad wouldn't like it. I don't have his permission. And the man said to the boy, oh, your dad will never know. And the little boy said, yeah, but I'll know. And when he comes home, I won't be able to look him in the face. You know, when Jesus comes, I want to be able to look Him in the face. I want to live a life that's holy. Those are choices that we make, aren't they? It, it's, we're, we're supposed to be diligent, that last passage said. Let's just do right. Let's just be holy people. Amen? Let's be holy people. Let's live different than the world. Let's say, you know what? My friends might do it. I'm, I'm just not going to do that. I'm not going to drink that. I'm not going to eat that. I'm not going to go to that place. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to speak like that. I'm not going to wear that. 
I'm just gonna, I want to be holy. I want to be godly. And so that's we as a church. We have Christian weddings. You know, we expect the ladies in the wedding to have clothes on, crazy stuff like that. You know, we don't have booze. We, we just, we, we do Christian weddings. We do Christian activities. We just, we're Christians. Amen? Amen? We're Christians. Let's just be holy. Let's be holy. Christianity 101. Personal holiness. Let's finish with this. You can stand. Your personal holiness has nothing to do with whether or not you get to heaven. I started there. I have to end there. The only holiness that can take you to heaven is God's holiness. And you don't have it unless you have received it as a gift. And then you have His righteousness. Amen? Once you have His righteousness and He's given grace for grace, He's given you grace so that you can live in grace. Let's live in grace. Let's be godly. Let's be a separated and holy church. Amen? Amen. One word I almost put up there was separated. The Bible says, Come out from among them and be ye separate, and touch not the unclean things, saith the Lord. We're supposed to be separate from the world in our behavior and the things we look at. You kids have access to more evil in in the palm of your hands with a phone than any other generation. Be holy. And parents, help them. You know, check out what they have, what they have access to, what they can look at. Help your kids remain pure. I would tell Jacob often, you know, um, those of you who don't know him, my son Jacob, he's got a good memory. He remembers, he remembers things very well. And I would tell him, Jacob, be careful what you put in your mind. Be careful what you look at because you'll never forget it. You'll never forget it. With that great gospel song, I wish I didn't know now what I didn't know then. You know, there's stuff that I don't want in my mind. Young people, help us help us keep you pure. And then like Paul said to Timothy, keep thyself pure. Keep thyself pure. Adults, keep thyself pure. Amen? Let's just, let's just be godly and holy people. If you're not saved, get saved. That's what we need. Let's sing this together.